Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. This morning I invite you to take your Bibles and open again to Ephesians chapter 1. And if you've been with us recently, we've had a little bit of a break from Ephesians 1. We had our missions conference last week and my brief quarantine the week before. So let's just reorient ourselves to where we are in this letter from Paul. Remember that we've spent two weeks so far looking at verses 3 through 14, which, as we said, despite the grammar edits of your Bible, are one long sentence in Paul's Greek. And we want to look once more at this sentence this morning. And you'll recall, if you look back at verse 3, that this whole sentence is a declaration of praise to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that he's given to us in Christ. That's the thesis statement of this sentence. And as you remember also, this sentence has been organized around God as a trinity and the roles that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have played in our salvation. And so far, we've seen that God the Father was the master planner of our redemption, choosing his people before the foundation of the world in order to accomplish his grand plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ to the praise of his glory. And then after that, we saw that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accomplished our redemption by his death and his resurrection on our behalf, and that we receive all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places only in union with him, so that what is his becomes ours because of our relationship with him as our head and representative. That's what we've seen so far. And so today we want to turn our attention to the Holy Spirit and to his role in redemption. We'll look really this morning at verses 13 and 14, but let's read the whole sentence starting with verse 3 once again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Father, how we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Would your Holy Spirit, even as we read and and think about what he has done in our salvation, would he apply these words to our hearts this morning? And we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. You know, when we talk about God as father and son, these are roles we're familiar with. And we have a fairly concrete starting point to understand who God is when he reveals himself as a father and as a son. But we struggle a bit more when we read God the Holy Spirit, or maybe worse, the Holy Ghost. Because usually in our minds, spirits and ghosts occupy the space in our imagination right next to monsters under the bed. Or maybe they they remind us of Halloween decorations or something along those lines. A few years ago, a family member told me about a Halloween prank that a neighbor of his pulled on trick-or-treating night. He made a small white ghost. And he hung that small white ghost from a hundred feet of clear fishing line and attached it to a drone. And he flew this little ghost with the drone up and down the street, surprising people and shocking them as this ghost would float up next to them out of nowhere. And I think when it, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, sometimes we get stuck thinking about this sort of uh, presence or maybe invisible force that sort of shows up, maybe something that uh, is hard for us really to understand or see. And when we are thinking in terms of what we think of with spirits and ghosts most often, it's really not helpful at all when it comes to knowing who God is as our Holy Spirit. And especially when it comes to the precious and essential role that he plays in our salvation. So I want to take just a minute before we dig into the text to remind us of what we know from Scripture about who God is as the Holy Spirit. When we think of the Holy Spirit, I think the the word for spirit, but in both the Old Testament and, and the New, is not talking about something immaterial. It's not talking about something ghost-like in that sense. It literally refers to active power or the breath of life. The breath of life would be another way to, to translate this word. And we think of the Spirit talked about in these ways as the, the power or the breath of life that comes forth from God. Micah 3.8, for instance, says, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. Sinclair Ferguson, in his study of the Holy Spirit, argues that God's Spirit is the blast of God, the irresistible power by which he accomplishes his purposes. The Spirit is God extending himself to be with his creation in a personal way. And so if you can imagine all of the power of God that creates with a word, that calms storms, that heals and destroys with a word, that is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. The Holy Spirit is that power of God drawing near to us to be with us and to bring to pass God's purposes and God's will in our lives. But the Holy Spirit, it's important for us as we think of him as as the power of of God. It's not just an expression for God's power. The Holy Spirit is a person of God. I think we see this when we think of Paul, who, when he talks of God, prays that we might know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think it's significant to notice that the Holy Spirit, the person of God that maybe we think of as immaterial or relate to ghosts, is the one most closely associated with fellowship and the intimate presence of God with us. And so as we think of the Holy Spirit on the forefronts of our minds should be the presence of God with us. I think of this when I think of Ezekiel thirty-nine twenty-nine, where God says, I will no longer hide my face from my people, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel. And you see how God's spirit and his presence is the opposite of the absence of God, fellowship with him. It is this person, this, the very power and presence of God and the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises to send to dwell in us and with us if we have trusted Christ as our Savior. So this is who the Spirit is. Well, what's the Spirit's role in redemption? If we want to think maybe in big picture terms before we dig into the text, let me go back to an analogy that I'd been building through the first two weeks. I'd been using the analogy of building a house. And in week one, we said that God the Father is that master planner, and so in the analogy, he is like the architect who plans the house and the general contractor who oversees and guarantees its execution. And we said that the Son is like the builder who actually builds the house. He's the one who carries out and accomplishes the Father's plan and therefore makes every spiritual blessing available to God's people. And I fully realize that the further you get into analogies sometimes, the further of a stretch they seem. So I I realize that. But if we want to carry this analogy further, the Holy Spirit is the one who actually applies to salvation to us, who personally brings us and our lives to Jesus and the salvation that he has secured. And so perhaps we could say that the Holy Spirit is like the moving crew sent by the Father and the Son to pick us and our lives up and to bring us personally into that house of salvation that the Father had planned and the Son had built. The Father plans and chooses. The Son accomplishes and secures. And the Spirit applies and brings us to God through Christ. But if we look at Ephesians chapter 1, we see the details of how the Spirit applies and brings to us the blessings of salvation. Paul calls the Holy Spirit in these last two verses, verses 13 and 14, the seal and the guarantee or the down payment of our eternal inheritance. And I want to unpack those words in the Holy Spirit's role, and I want to do that by considering how the Holy Spirit works in us, why the Holy Spirit works in us, and what the Holy Spirit does in us in salvation. So let's start by looking at how the Holy Spirit works in us. In one sense, we could really say that the entire process of our salvation, the the entire uh, process of our coming to faith in Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, Paul describes those who received the Holy Spirit as those who heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ. But of course, many people hear the word of truth, many people hear the gospel of salvation, but only some believe and trust in Christ as their Savior. And why is that? Why do some believe and others not? Well, it's because the work of the Holy Spirit, who is the power of God to actually bring to pass in history God's will. It is because of the Spirit's power at work that Jesus can say, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. 
See, the Holy Spirit is the very breath of God at work in us. The Holy Spirit persuades our wills and shows us the beauty of Christ and never fails to bring about God's call to his people. In theology, we call this God's effectual call. That God's Spirit revives dead hearts and opens them to receive and trust the gospel so that all that the Father gives to Christ will come to him. And so in that sense, our whole faith in Christ from beginning to end is the work of God's Spirit. This is really how the Holy Spirit has worked in both Old and New Testament, drawing near to God's people, coming to God's people, convicting their hearts, and enabling them to do what God had called them to do. But then in verse 13, I want you to notice those first two little words. Because here there is another and a more specific way in which we receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 starts, In Him, that is, in Christ. Remember, we've talked about this phrase already, and here we find, In Christ, having believed the gospel, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, while the Holy Spirit is the power of God at work in us every step in the salvation process, there is a particular and a new way in which we receive the Holy Spirit once we put our faith in Jesus. The Bible describes this as Jesus sending his own spirit to dwell in us so that the very presence and power of the living God is in us, uniting us to Jesus so that he is with us always. Sinclair Ferguson again describes it this way. He said, the spirit's coming through Christ when we put our faith in him inaugurates a communion with Christ in which the spirit who dwelt on Christ now dwells on and in believers. Having the Spirit is the equivalent of having the incarnate, obedient, crucified, resurrected, and exalted Christ dwelling in us so that we are united to Him as He is united to the Father. What a promise! This is the unique blessing of the Holy Spirit when He comes to dwell in us through faith. And I don't know about you, but when I think of myself as a sinful human being who is made of dust, It's hard for me to imagine the very presence and power of God coming to dwell in me and me not disintegrating. And yet by God's grace and mercy through Christ, the presence and power of God in us through His Spirit does not disintegrate us, but raises us up to be capable of fellowship with our very God forever. And this is the defining mark of who we are as believers, united to Christ with the Spirit of the living God, dwelling in us. And I think sometimes we sell short what God has given us in Christ. Sometimes we think of God maybe external to us giving us salvation as if he's someone over here and he gives us this thing called salvation. But that that leaves us walking through this world maybe feeling like the apostle Peter when Jesus told him and invited him to walk out on the waves but he stepped out on the waves and he saw the waves around him and he started to sink and we look at the world around us we maybe look at the circumstances around us maybe it's the moral and political chaos of our country maybe it's the specific sufferings of our lives maybe if it maybe it's sin that we feel entrapped in and we feel like we're sinking and we feel alone and overwhelmed 
And we just wish that we had Jesus' arm who would come and reach out and grab hold of us and pull us up. But see, God is not external to us. We have something far more than a physical arm of Jesus. We have Jesus dwelling in us by his very spirit. So that through whatever waves and winds you might be walking through, God is dwelling with us and in us by his spirit through Jesus Christ. He is with us pulling us up. He is not outside of us, but with us and in us. And that is a tremendous blessing that God has given us in salvation. So this is how the Spirit works. He works at every step of the salvation process to bring our hearts to Christ, but then he indwells us when we put our faith in Christ so that God's power and presence are with us. Next, I want to notice why the Holy Spirit works in us. And I just want to note this very briefly. I want to notice very briefly the blessing of one word that's used in verse 13, where we read that the Holy Spirit is the promised Holy Spirit. And here we find the simple encouragement that you and I and anyone who hears the gospel and believes it can have the confidence and assurance that they will receive God's Holy Spirit for one very simple and very good reason. And that is that God has promised to send him to us. God has promised the Holy Spirit all through the Old Testament. Maybe you think of passages like Ezekiel 36, 27, where God promised a coming day when he would put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Maybe you think of a passage like Joel 2, 28, where God promised that it would come to pass that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Maybe you think of Jesus' own words in in John 14, when he promised, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth. These are precious promises. And you know, the promises of God or the promises of anyone are as good as the person promising it. I was thinking of a conversation I had with a young boy who was very unenthusiastic when his father told him that he would take him to get ice cream that night. I said, well, why aren't you more excited? Your dad just said he'd take you to get ice cream. And he said, well, my dad talks about a lot of things, but most of them don't seem to happen. The promise is only as reliable as the one making the promise. But in our God, we have the one who can never lie, who has shown his faithfulness to every word of his promises, who we can trust every word he says. And so we can be confident of the immense blessing of the Holy Spirit because he has been promised to us throughout the pages of Scripture by both Father and Son. And that promise is a strong guarantee that these blessings that we have in the Holy Spirit are ours if we come to him in Christ. So we receive the Spirit through our union with Christ so that he's dwelling in us. That's how the Holy Spirit works in us. We receive the Spirit based on God's own promise. That's why we can have confidence that we will receive the Spirit. But now look at what the Holy Spirit actually does in us when Christ pours him out into our hearts. And the text tells us two things. In verse 13, if you're looking there, we see that in Christ and we have believed the gospel, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Well, what does a seal do? Let's say that someone sells you their car and you need to go to the notary and you need to get that bill of sale sealed, stamped with the seal of the notary. What does that notary seal do? Well, it authenticates the document. 
it proves that it is genuine. And in proving that it is genuine, it also secures the benefit to you. If that person would come back to you and say, oh, I didn't sell you that car, you could show them the seal and say, absolutely, the bill of sale is real. It is mine. And so a seal both proves that something is genuine and in proving that it is genuine and it secures it. And so it is with God's spirit. When we hear the gospel and respond in faith in Christ, God pours out his promised spirit on us, sealing us, stamping us as his. It authenticates us as God's children, and it secures us as his. It is the proof and the confirmation that we belong to him. And so we can read such a a wonderful phrase like in Romans 8 verse 16, where we read, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That testimony, that bearing witness is the sealing presence of the Holy Spirit with us. But maybe someone might say, well, that's all well and good, but it would seem like the presence of the Holy Spirit assuring me of this would lead to a great joy and and a feeling of assurance, and sometimes I don't feel that. So how do I know if I have the assurance of, of the Spirit in me? Joy, of course, may be the result of the Spirit's assurance, but assurance is not a feeling. Our feelings are fickle, and we should never reduce our assurance of Christ to a feeling. But the Bible describes the witness of the Spirit to our hearts in three ways. Galatians 4, 4, says that God sends the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father well-known pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones called this an instinctual cry of our heart, welling up to God as our Father, that can only result from the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts cry to God as our Father is part of the Spirit's witness and sealing testimony to us. But then we look to 1 John chapter 4, and in 1 John chapter 4, we get a test to test the spirits and see whether We have the Holy Spirit or a false spirit. And what does John say there? He says, only if the Holy Spirit is in us can our hearts confess and believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, has died and risen again, and is our only hope for forgiveness of sins and being welcomed into God's presence. And so, if you look to Christ and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who came as a man, who died on the cross and rose again, and he is my only hope for salvation. You can only proclaim that. You can only believe that if the Holy Spirit of God is at work in you. And so that confidence is another part of the Spirit's witness and assuring sealing in our hearts. And then third, according to Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit in our lives are evidence that we belong to him. With Paul adding in in Romans 5 that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so the fruit of the Spirit, the love and joy and, and peace and patience that God pours into our hearts through His Spirit that bears fruit in our lives is another assuring testimony of God's Spirit in us. And so the witness of God's Spirit looks like the instinct and desire to call on Him as Father, the readiness to confess Jesus as the Son of God and source of my salvation, and the fruits of God in our lives. As we see these things, even imperfectly, even imperfectly in our ongoing battles with sin and suffering, we rejoice in God's sealing confirmation 
of our salvation that comes through his Holy Spirit. But then Paul adds another blessing that comes from the Holy Spirit in verse 14. Here we read that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee or the down payment on our inheritance until we receive the full inheritance. Well, what's a down payment? What does it mean that the Spirit's a down payment on our inheritance? Well, think about buying a house. You, You know the process of buying a house. When you purchase a house and you go and sign the contract, you probably have to fork over a couple thousand dollars as a security deposit. And that security deposit is your promise saying, I'm going to go through with this contract. And certainly the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that his promises in Christ are true and will come true. But the text does not say that the Holy Spirit is our security deposit. There's a big difference between the security deposit and the down payment. I want to make sure we understand that. The down payment is not just a promise. It's not merely a promise. The down payment is actually the first portion of the payment. When I pay 20% down on my house, the bank receives 20% of the value of what they're owed. And I become an owner of 20% of my house. Maybe think of it another way. If your proverbial rich aunt has willed you a million dollars, and while still living, she hands you $50,000 as the down payment on the inheritance... She isn't just promising you that the inheritance will come. She's actually giving you part of the inheritance. You are then now enjoying the first portion of this inheritance until the full portion becomes yours. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we've actually received the first portion of our internal inheritance. See, when we put our faith in Christ and God sends his Holy Spirit to live in us, what does the Spirit of God do but bring us into the presence of God starting right away? It's not just a promise that someday you will be in God's presence. It's bringing you into the presence of God now. We've received the inheritance, the internal inheritance of life and the kingdom in the presence of God now. And think about the Spirit's power The Spirit's power is remaking us into new creations. But what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5? You are a new creation in Christ. Now. Why? Because the Spirit is at work in us even now. The fruits of the Spirit are at work in us. The conviction and hatred of sin, a love of God and a desire for holiness, those are the results of the Holy Spirit already working out the new creation in us now. And so when we come to Christ in faith, it's not just a promise of the future we receive. We receive God's new creation inheritance, eternal inheritance right now. We've received the first part of heaven by receiving the Holy Spirit in us, even as we wait for its full reality to be ours at the return of Christ. And that is such an amazing promise. Not only is this an amazing promise, but as we close, we have to to also say this makes all the difference for us as we walk through our day-to-day life. If we face the sufferings and anxieties and despairs of life, we do it having received the down payment of our eternal inheritance with God dwelling in us right now. As we face temptation, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. When, when someone posts that thing on Facebook that we just want to give a real zinger back to or Maybe just destroy their reputation with some good gossip. When we're up late at night, a bit bored and a bit exhausted, and sexual temptation sounds attractive. 
Or when pride and the need to prove myself drives a desperate and anxious campaign to succeed or or anxiety threatens to overwhelm me. When these sins press us in, God's Spirit lives in us and is at work in us. We have a new nature from Him now. We are freed from the dominion of sin, not fully from its presence. The flesh is still at battle in us, but we are freed from the dominion of sin. We are remade in the likeness of Christ. Sin has been exposed for the lie that it is, and the Spirit of God with His desires are at work in us. And so, while the battle is still waged day by day, And hour by hour in our lives, this battle is never hopeless, but is fully hopeful for the Spirit is dwelling in us with the power of God for life and godliness as we look to and rely on Him. Maybe the best summary of the blessings of the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus' own statement in John 16. Do you remember what He tells His disciples there? He says, It is better for you for me to leave you and go away. Because if I leave you, I will send you the Holy Spirit. And we think, what could possibly be better than Jesus walking right next to us and speaking to us? But if he goes away, he will send the Holy Spirit of truth, the helper who is the presence of God with us to dwell in us. And having Jesus walk along the road with us may be great. Taking a boat ride with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee may be great. But that is nothing. And Jesus says it is nothing compared to what we have in Christ. That Christ by his Spirit is living in us. Uniting us with himself and with the Father. Sealing us for redemption. And giving us the first down payment of our eternal and resurrection life. That's what we have. And it is better than walking along the road with Jesus. And so we come to the end of this grand sentence. And what do we have? The work of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father plans redemption for the people who would be his. The Son carries out the redemption by becoming man and dying in our place and rising for our life. And the Spirit comes and changes our hearts, brings us to faith, unites us to Christ, dwells in us, and so seals us and assures us with the joy of salvation, giving us the down payment of that inheritance even now. What a redemption that is offered to every single person who will come to Christ through faith. Let's pray. Father, when we come to you and think about the salvation that you have worked for us in Christ, when we think that from before the foundation of the world, our Father was planning and preparing this plan of salvation. And that in time, in history, the Son of God has come and died on the cross in our place so that our iniquities were laid on Him, and that He rose again for our life. And now, in our own lives, in 2021, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us through faith in Christ so that we have even now the assurance of salvation and the first down payment of heaven, of all of our hope in Christ, of the eternal inheritance. What a joy. How we thank you, our God. Would you continue to be at work in us to comfort us and strengthen us in obedience and service for you? And if there is any who have not put their faith in Christ, who have not had the Spirit to bring them to Christ and unite them to you. Would you bring them to yourself in repentance and faith this morning? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.